the football game that was on yesterday. I thought for a brief moment of extending uh, the sermon series, Tough Stuff, uh, for uh, a sermon on loss. Um, next week. <laughs> um, I'm opting for Thanksgiving this morning. As we uh, take a look and talk a little bit about Thanksgiving this morning, I want to look at three um, questions about maybe how Jesus might come to the Thanksgiving table. And uh, those questions are printed on the, the insert in your bulletin. Talking about who is invited to the table with Jesus, how are people welcome to the table, and to what do we pay attention to when we come to the table together. As we look at these questions, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us this morning uh, through me or despite me and always through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. My family got a head start on Thanksgiving last weekend. We traveled out to Bedford last Saturday. That's where my parents live in a little town called Woodbury. Um, it's like Mayberry, but, you know, it's called Woodbury. Um, there's not much to it, little town. And we gathered there with uh, my two younger brothers and their wives, and they each have uh, a little daughter. Um, so we got together as a family, my aunt and uncle, and one of my cousins from Ohio, and his daughter came out uh, from Ohio. And as always, we ate well. It's amazing how our family Thanksgiving menu has adapted over the years. When I was younger, I would say it was a very fairly traditional, um, nothing ornate, nothing out of the ordinary kind of meal, your turkey, your mashed potatoes, stuffing, gravy, corn. Um, at the own family Thanksgiving, there are always black olives, which you eat by inserting your finger into the hole and then eating off your finger. <laughs> the black olives are always the first thing to go. We have to hide those until the meal starts, otherwise there are no black olives left for the meal. And so we, we eat well. I remember when our... Um, when my Thanksgiving world kind of got turned upside down a number of years ago when I started eating with Katie's family. Uh, they have a Pennsylvania Dutch twist on things, and there were no mashed potatoes. There was, mash, uh, there was potato filling. And so there were no mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, and it took me a number of years. I was devastated by the loss of my mashed potatoes. Despite the hardships, we still got married. Um, and I enjoy the mashed potato filling now. I remember one Thanksgiving where, um, actually just a few years ago, we were out at my parents in Bedford, um, family was gathering, and we ended up with more desserts than main course food, which is not a problem. You know, as we started together, we thought, well, we don't have much for the meal, but we have a whole lot of dessert. And at first, people were kind of upset, and everybody seemed to be all right with it by the end of the day. It's interesting how this special day focuses around gathering at a table and eating a meal with one another. Of course, 
This isn't an American invention or something that's unique to the fourth Thursday in November. This is actually an ancient practice and one that had great significance for Jesus in the early church, meeting around a table and eating a meal together. Some of Jesus' greatest ministry moments were at meals. His first uh, miracle was at the wedding of Cana, where Jesus turns water into wine in order to keep the celebration going. He feeds the multitudes. One of his greatest moments is at the Last Supper. And you know, it's not, for some disciples, after Jesus rises from the dead, it's not until he eats a meal with them and breaks bread with them that they realize who he is. Looking at the significance of the table and Jesus' ministry and the life of the early church is what we're going to do this morning. And so the first question is, who is invited to the table? And this is what our text out of Matthew 9 talks about. Jesus comes across Matthew, who is a, a tax farmer. He's in charge of collecting taxes for the, the Roman government. And, and he's bid this job out, and he's the one who has won this job. He's going to provide the most tax revenue back to the Roman government. And so his fellow Jews have no love for someone who is working with the empire to oppress their people. Jesus goes with Matthew back to his house, and the text says the Pharisees want to know why he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, a doctor comes to be with those that are sick, that know they are in need of care and healing. And this is why I'm sitting with folks who know they don't have it all together. He sits down with anyone and everyone. He says, the, the Pharisees, they seem to think they have it all together. And so Jesus says, I'm not here to eat with you right now. I'm here to eat with those who feel like they're broken, who are outcasts, who have been set aside, who have been looked down upon. This is who I choose to eat with. Jesus eats with all kinds of people. He eats with the multitudes. He tells stories about a wedding feast where it's people off the streets who end up being welcomed into the feast. Those that had been invited make up all kinds of excuses about why they can't join. And so the master of the feast sends his servants out into the streets to bring in those that are homeless, that are uh, forgotten, that are marginalized, and says, you, come in and eat with me. Remember that it's not just about a meal together in this ancient world. Here where it's a subsistence economy, they have just enough to get by. And so when the early church prayed, um, give us this day our daily bread, they were literally asking, God, please take care of our physical immediate need right now. And that's food for today. Lots of people trying to figure out where is today's meal coming from. So when they share 
a meal together, when it says they break bread together, they're caring for one another's practical needs. There's some economic sharing happening in these verses. And so Jesus eats and welcomes everyone to the table. Another aspect of the table that was important to Jesus and to the early church was hospitality. Jesus and the disciples relied on the hospitality of others. When they were out ministering and, and traveling from town to town, they would stay with folks. They would stay with supporters and, and patrons who were helping them out, who were providing shelter and, and, and food for them. At one point in, in Luke, Jesus sends out 70 of his followers to preach and, and tell the good news. And he tells them not to take any money with them, but to rely on the hospitality of strangers. The writer of Hebrews stresses the importance of hospitality, of welcoming people in, uh, of even if you don't have enough to, to just welcome people to the table, to eat with them, to do your best to, to care for them and to help them know that they are welcome in your home. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. The writer of Hebrews includes hospitality as an important practice for followers of Jesus. He says that some have even hosted angels without knowing it. I think the point there is you never know when an angel is going to show up, so don't take any chances with your hospitality. You don't know who all is present with you at the table. Friends, family, Jesus. Hospitality is even given as a, a spiritual gift by Paul. I think hospitality is about creating holy space where people can come together. Then Jesus also talks about being attentive to relationships at the table. First, he's invited anyone and everyone to the table. He it's about creating a holy space through hospitality. But when people come, we need to be attentive to the relationships around the table. One of the families that Jesus relied on for support was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in Luke chapter 10, um, we hear this story that many of us heard uh, growing up. It says, now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is no need, or there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha was all about hospitality. She's creating this space for Jesus and 
his disciples to come. She's opening her home. She's willing to share with them. But then once they're there, she continues about these tasks and these chores. <clears throat> she's not being attentive to the relationships. She's not being attentive to Jesus there with her. Look, there's all kinds of things around the holidays to distract us from being attentive to the relationships at the table. For some who are great at hospitality, that hospitality is a hard thing to turn off once people start showing up. We're worried about all the details, but do you know what? When people start showing up, it doesn't matter if the turkey's a little dry. It doesn't matter if the mashed potatoes are a little runny. It doesn't matter if not everything is perfect. You've created the space, and now it's about the relationships. I don't know that I've ever gone away from a Thanksgiving meal with family and family going, that meal was awful. Those mashed potatoes were horrible. Once you gather together, it's about the relationship with one another. For some of us at Thanksgiving, um, there's other things that can distract us. Some of us are planning our Black Friday outing, or we've got other things distracting us. We've got um, work conflicts or, or things that are happening in our lives that are distracting us from the moment there with the folks around the table. We need to be attentive to the people, to the relationships, and to the presence of Christ at the table with us. But I wonder, why is the table central to the ministry of Jesus? Why is it so prominent in the practice of the early church, gathering together, sitting at a meal with one another? Table fellowship, or sitting with one another at the table, was a serious point of sometimes conflict in the early church. It was something that Paul wrote often about. It was a, an issue that he addresses in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians about people coming and being willing to sit down at a meal together. And often it was Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews had been raised to not, a good Jew doesn't sit down with a Gentile to eat a meal. Paul said, that doesn't matter anymore. In some places like Corinth, it was the rich and the poor who were being asked to eat a meal together, and the rich were coming and having this great grand banquet, and, and the poor were just having this simple meal. And Paul says, no, this is about eating and being together. There were also divisions of male against female that they had to address in the early church. Table fellowship is about who is welcome to worship, who is invited into the life of the people of Jesus. You know, Jesus' most famous meal we call the Last Supper. And of course, for us at Spring Creek, one of those distinguishing things that happens at the, the Last Supper is feet washing. But Jesus says at one point after he takes the bread and the cup he says, this is my body, and this is my blood. 
do this in remembrance of me. And often in, in the church, we say these are the words of institution. This is when Jesus establishes the uh, communion, the bread and the cup, as, as this sacred service. John Howard Yoder, a, a Mennonite uh, scholar, points out that the church um, has historically understood this about taking communion, and that's not wrong. But he says in context, Jesus is talking about the shared meal. Jesus' followers continue to not just share a communion cracker and a sip of juice with one another, they share a meal with one another. They come together to eat together. Yoder reminds us, too, that every meal in a Jewish household was an act of worship. It wasn't just a mealtime. It was a space to worship together. They began and ended their meal with a, with a prayer. That prayer often said something like this, Blessed art thou, O God, King of the universe, by whose goodness we have this bread to share. For years, my grandpa Hartong started our worship or our meal with your kindly heavenly father. And it ended with, and to thee we give thee the praise. Amen. Grandpa passed away a number of years ago, but all of his grandkids remember how his prayer starts and ends. One of the most sacred Jewish celebrations centered around a meal in the Passover. It wasn't a, a separate worship service. It wasn't about going to a building that day. It was about gathering together with family and retelling the story around a meal. In Acts 2, the church is dedicated to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to eating together, and prayer. Table fellowship for Paul isn't just about communion. It's about who is coming and worshiping and living life together. Meals together were such a, an important part of the early church that in Acts 6, they actually changed their church leadership structure to adapt in order to make sure that everyone is sharing in the meal together. And so I wonder... What's happening at your home on Thursday? What's happening at family gatherings over the Christmas season? A family tradition? Catching up with loved ones? Those are wonderful. Depending on how you view your family, maybe it's out of a sense of duty. Or is it a holy time of worship? Time to welcome everyone back to the table. You know, maybe over this season we need to go out into the streets and find some strangers to come to the table. Or maybe you need to welcome people to the table who have been absent for far too long. Maybe there's people in your family that haven't been present for that time of worship in a long time. Maybe it's a time to practice the best of hospitality. We don't know who might be present at the table with us. It's also a time to be present to one another. 
Focus on the conversations. Focus on the relationships that form around those tables. Be present to the Spirit and what God is doing as you gather together to share a meal together. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. As we close our worship this morning, I invite you to rise in body or spirit and turn in your brown hymnal uh, to